on August 4, 2021. National polygamy advocate Mark Henkel was on Bard's Logic Political Talk, part eight of this three-hour show. Real quick programming note, but we're at the four-minute mark, Mark. <laughs> ah, very good. So okay, well, I'll tell you what. Yeah, so if you want to hang up and then call in real quick before the three minutes and 30 seconds runs out, before uh, you can get called back in. I'll hang up right now and call you right back. All right, sounds good. All right, I'm hanging up now. Okay, we'll see you in it shortly. And, and Kelly, yeah, we're going to be uh, – I'll get you that audio clip I was telling you about um, – you know, because I want to get that to you. Uh, did you get a chance to maybe look at that website from that that, that I was showing you about the uh, the drill assemblies? Are you familiar yeah, with those? Yeah. State um, drill assemblies. Well, it's a new movement. Um, it's one of the leaders in yeah, FBI plan. Um, that's because um, I yeah I think I've heard about it. another place another one out of Texas. That'll take a little while to discuss, actually. And uh, but I wanted to go back to the polygamy discussion. And uh, when the guy comes back on, his name's Mark, I guess. Yes, Mark Hankel, and he is back on. Thank you very much. Uh, welcome back, Mark. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that was a good idea for us to do, I believe. Well, yeah, okay. Well, I'm glad you're back on because you know it's nice to have discussion. You know, uh, we can share ideas and. And hopefully we can be respectful. The uh, so are, are you, Mark, are you a libertarian? I have a line I say, and that is that liberals are liars, conservatives are liberals, and libertarians are lip servers. And that I am disappointed with all of them. That I have identified myself over time as a constitutionalist conservative. Some would call me a pro-life libertarian, but I have reached the realization that as corporatism has hijacked capitalism, that the parties are really corporatocrats, corpublicans, and corporatarians, and that they value the, the effective government of corporations as more important than the liberty of individuals. And so I actually believe in individuals. I believe that liberty is for individuals, not corporations. Uh, and actually, I refer them, to them as big government-born corporations because corporations only exist because government says they exist. It's a fiat. A fiat declares a corporation's existence. And indeed, government itself is a corporation. So it's just corporation, mama corporation with baby corporations, mama government with her baby governments. And that I am an absolute capitalist, but I do believe that liberty is for individuals, not big government-born corporations, that capitalism is for individuals, not big government-born corporations, and that to say that you are against big government but for big government-born corporations is an utter contradiction um, because being for big government-born corporations is being for big government. That corporatism has hijacked capitalism. Have you read Bostia? I'm sorry? The law by Bostia? Bastiat, B-A-S-T-I-A-T? Yeah, Bastiat, the law. It's an excellent discussion. Oh, my gosh, you'd love that. In I would. He discusses, yeah, he discussed, because I don't like the corporate control over America either, and um, he discusses in Europe how the corporations were bending government for their profit, 
but in, this is written in the mid-1800s. Yeah. And he said, but America is not like this. And one of his statements was, the state is that great fictitious entity by which everyone seeks to live at the expense of everyone else. So you're the boss, you have the law. You would love that. I also am a Constitution scholar. I've been accused of that many times. And uh, I'm also a Christian, but I want to get back to the polygamy thing. In the Old Testament, you know, King David had a bunch of wives and concubines, and so did Solomon. Well, how did this happen? And what happened was men, in that culture basically, unless you were a virgin, uh, you couldn't, it's, it's really hard to get remarried. It's very hard in that culture. And people were marrying young, say 14, 15, 16. But how did it, how is it King David and Solomon had so many wives? Well, it's pretty simple. Um, men would die in battle. And, um, so a single guy wouldn't really necessarily want her because she's, you know, her husband died in battle. She's not a virgin anymore, and so that's that's how kings would, you know. I tell you what, why don't you marry me or be my concubine? Because you lost your husband. Okay, and in some ways that would help her because if she say, it's kind of like the sexual threshold. Once you once you cross the sexual threshold, you you want sex again and again. That's just kind of how we're made. Natural, God-created desires we have. And what can happen here, if a woman's not married or not a concubine and provided for, she could end up um, having her sensual desires overtake her, as Paul talked about in First Timothy 5, and where he said, I advise widows to remarry. So she has her sensual desires, biological desires overtake her, and she's sleeping around. Then she has a kid out of wedlock. She's certainly not wanted. Then she could have been, become a prostitute. And it just gets downwardly spiraling worse and worse and worse for her. So I think that's why um, kings would have multiple wives, because their husbands died in battle and the culture didn't frown big time on remarriage. So... With that, with that said, there's some other interesting things from our history. The colonial era, I've been reading a well, book can, called... Can, uh, can I ask you something? Can I address one issue at a time rather than a, a, a overload and then I can't answer them all? <laughs> I think that's pretty fair, yeah. yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, I think you raised a very good point, and I appreciate you doing that. I would say that that's overthinking it. In that, this is my response or my reaction as I as I hear this is that it is over. We're looking for a reason by overthinking it, and that I don't think that anything suggests that there was a deliberative process of saying this is why I'm willing to have more than one wife. I think it just happened because it was never a sin to begin with. They never thought of it as a sin. They never perceived it as a sin. It was never called a sin. It was even regulated under Exodus 21.10 and certainly uh, uh, Deuteronomy 21.15. And so because of this, I would say that they just didn't think about it at all. Consider you mentioned David. Here David is. He goes from being nothing more than a shepherd boy, and then he gets anointed by the prophet Samuel, and 
what we see through the story of David is a growth of both growth of his family and political power, and that he goes first from getting a couple hundred men, then 600 men, then he gets two wives, then they get attacked, and David says, what should I do? And says, go back and you shall recover your wives. He recovers his wives back. Uh, he also, I should say within this, he was also married to the princess and that uh, she was taken from him and given away to Feltiel. Uh, but so, but according to Olmaus today, he was never allowed to marry anybody else. He was only supposed to remain to married to the one woman who was taken away from him by King Saul. So, but God actually returns those two wives to him. And then he goes through all the passes. He goes, eventually God gives him the town of Ziklag. So now here he's got the town of Ziklag and a couple wives. He then becomes uh, the king of Judah, the two tribes of Judah, and that... He then gets uh, more, four more wives, and so here he is, even before Bathsheba, he has six wives and several sons born of those wives, and then finally has his original wife brought back to him as well, uh, But because he, when he becomes the uh, king of Israel. And so at this point, he becomes the king of Israel. God is with him every step of the way. If God was against polygamy, he would have stopped David right from the beginning for with wife number two. And so that never would have happened. So when the issue of Bathsheba comes up, the seventh, uh, or the eighth rather, that he's already got seven known named wives. And then the issue of his lustfulness with Bathsheba and he has Uriah the Hittite killed on the front line. When the prophet Nathan calls him out on 2 Samuel 12, 8, he does not call out his polygamy. He calls out the fact that he took this man's one wife and had the man killed. And that's what his sin was. And that's why David repented. He was never repenting of polygamy. And if God is speaking through the mouth of Nathan in 2 Samuel 12, 8, he's, he's not condemning polygamy because he would have stopped all the polygamy. He was condemning him taking one man's wife and having the man killed by sending him back to the front line of the army deliberately to have him killed there. So the point is, is that God himself took responsibility and said in 2 Samuel 12, 8, I gave you all your wives. And if you had wanted more, I'd have given you more. That's what God said himself in 2 Samuel 12, 8 to David. So my response and reaction to the idea that there's a rationale we have to try to come up with for why the men were doing, I think that's just overthinking. I don't think they thought about it at all because it was never a sin. They never thought about it as a sin. They never thought of a reason why they needed to contemplate justifying doing it. They just did it. Can I marry your wife? What's up? Okay, that was random. Sure. Are you making? Are you making? I'm sorry. A, sure, it was random. I am not saying anybody can marry my wife. Nobody can marry my wife. Any wife in my family? No, that's not that. I'm saying sure, that's random. Let's be very clear. No, <laughs> I was agreeing with Robert. Kelly. No, I'm saying Kelly. Well, that was random. That just came out of nowhere, Kelly. <laughs> all right. Anyway, she may not want me anyway. But but anyway, I'm just going to. All right, so um, do you have more than one wife? Because, as I had said before about the issue of purported clause in the state of Maine's law, and because of the publicity of my, having my name out there, I'm not allowed to answer that question in order to protect and save my family. Okay, well, no, that's fine. So let's go back to uh, the second wife, Abigail, of King David. Her husband died, which fits my model that I described. Okay, and then 
Yes, King David got married again, and then we look in the Old Testament that uh, adultery is a death sentence, so is murder. So King David had hanging over his head a double death sentence. Well, now, you have to did. stop there. You have to stop there because adultery was not written in the English definition of adultery. It was the Hebrew word was naaf, and the Hebrew word in naaf actually says woman who breaks wedlock. So when a man marries a woman who's not another man's wife, no woman is breaking a wedlock, therefore there is no adultery. If David had committed adultery, God would have stopped him with the second woman. He wouldn't have stopped him before the third woman. He would have stopped him before the fourth, fifth, sixth. He would not have given him more and more wives, more children, and given him the town of Ziklag, then given him the kingdom of Judah, and then given him the kingdom of all 12 tribes of Israel. God would have stopped him long before then if this was adultery as a knife over his head. Adultery, according to Exodus 20, verse 14, thou shalt not commit adultery, means thou shalt not have a woman break her wedlock. And again, if a woman is not married to another man, then he's, no woman is breaking a wedlock, therefore no adultery is occurring. Now, absolutely, in today's modern society, that seems very inegalitarian to us. But if we're going to use doctrine, according to the scripture that was, it was written in the original language, it was actually written by God himself. Hey, we're originalists on the Constitution. We've got to be originalists on the text of the Bible. And so if we're originalists on the text of the Bible, the text only meant woman who breaks wedlock, and that's why David was never guilty of adultery. Because, you know, it says all adulterers have their part in the lake with burnt with fire and brimstone, and certainly David isn't going to be there. And it even says, uh, I think in, uh, Luke says that uh, that uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be seen in the kingdom of heaven. And Abraham had three wives. Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel were born of four wives. So we have to be careful that we not impose a modern English translation definition of adultery onto the originalism of the text Naaf in the Hebrew text of the Seventh Commandment, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, let me ask you a question. Uh, the Apostle Paul gave out instructions for elders and deacons, and elders must be the husband of but one wife. So if, well, I, I, that, if, if, I, that's if, a great passage. If two wives is a, is a sin, is not a sin, as two wives is not a sin, then why did Paul write the husband of but one wife? That's a brilliant question. I'm glad you asked it. It's another example of a mistranslation. The word for one in one wife of those first one wife verses of 1 Timothy 3, 2, 12, and Titus 1, 6, they all basically say that a bishop, elder, or deacon, doesn't say everybody, bishop, elder, or deacon must be the husband of one wife. But the word one in that verse is actually Mia wife. It is not Heis. Mia is first as opposed to Heis, the numeral one. And this is relevant just as, for example, the word Mia of the Mia day of the week when the women found Jesus Christ on the first day of the week that he was missing. He was resurrected on the Mia day of the week, the first day of the week with the three women find, uh, finding that he was, the, he was not in the tomb anymore on the Mia day of the week. So what that is not saying is the husband of one wife, it is actually saying when you go to the original Greek, again, back to originalism, that a bishop, elder, or deacon must be the wife of their first wife. 
boom. Now suddenly you have an anti-divorce doctrine coming into play, and that's absolutely scriptural, as Jesus himself said in Matthew 19, that save only for the cause of uncleanness, that no one shall put a wife uh, and have, not have divorce. So the bottom line is, is that, that those three verses, the Mia wife verses, the one wife verses of 1 Timothy 3.2, 3.12, and Titus 1.6 are actually only applying to bishops, elders, and deacons, not everyone else, and they are saying they must be the husband of their first wife, meaning they've not divorced. So what you're saying is that as long as they are committed to their first wife, did not divorce their first wife, they can become an elder and a deacon and have two or three or ten wives? The idea of can have is really up to the quantity of what the women would actually be marrying him. Uh, it, it, you know, going up to saying ten sounds extreme and exciting and, and ridiculous, but you know, it may be two, it may be three, or whatever it is. It doesn't, they don't even have a thought process about whether there's a number or not. It just is what it is. What it means is he must not have divorced, and that's the only thing that matters. You know, it reminds me of a song that we used to play on Sesame Street. One of these things is not like the other. One of these things just does not belong. And what they would do is they would show a grid of four items, and one of those items didn't belong in that. And the idea of one wife does not belong in the list of items listed of what a bishop, elder, or deacon uh, must not do. But when you put it as first wife, now suddenly first wife does match with all the others because it's saying he must not divorce. So that's the point. It has nothing to do with polygamy. It has to do with divorce. So let me see if I got this right. And there's a little there's a little feedback when you're when you're speaking there, uh, Mark. Um, but make sure okay. I got this correct. Is that basically he could? I mean. You know, as a synopsis, I guess. Basically, he can have more than one wife. He just can't be divorced. Correct, according to those doctrines. That's like that's like, that, that's like the, yeah. That's just the, the simple synopsis of it. So yeah, yes. so he he just can't be. And now, if he's divorced, I guess that meant uh, that once he's divorced, he he cannot remarry. Is that correct? No, it just means he can't be a bishop, elder, or deacon. Oh, okay, gotcha. So Bishop, okay, they can't be divorced, but okay, I got you. because they need to be they need to be the role models. Hello. No, I'm no. here. Hello. Okay, good. No, good. I'm, I'm here. I hear you. <laughs> good, good, good. Yeah, we didn't want that hanging up like last time. Um, no, no, no. But there's only about uh, you know 45 minutes to about 40 minutes before I have to start shutting things down. Mark Henkel is National Polygamy Advocate, presenting polygamy to the public since 1994. NationalPolygamyAdvocate.com